Hello Saints, Todd here with SafeguardYourSoul.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are so blessed to have these moments together in the Word of God. And remember, Saints, there's nothing, there's nothing, no thing happening on God's planet that is even remotely as important as the work of the gospel and feeding the sheep of Jesus Christ for whom he died to save so that they can grow in grace, they can be edified, they can be equipped for the work of the ministry according to the scriptures. And let me just guarantee you this one thing, by the grace of God, this outreach will continue to unapologetically endeavor to preach the whole of the word of God, regardless of who gets offended or not in Jesus name. And please remember that your prayers and support are vital to this operation. Thank you. The title of this message is Don't Ever Take a Vacation from God. God's Word teaches us to be diligent in knowing and following Christ. Even when the word diligence is not even used, the Bible tells us to seek the Lord and His strength, seek His face continually. First Chronicles 16, 11. I want to encourage you to write that scripture down on an index card and memorize it. Write that scripture down on an index card and memorize it. First Chronicles 16, 11. See Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. First Chronicles 16, verse 11. Also, we must make the deliberate decision to set our hearts and our souls to seek the Lord our God. First Chronicles 22, 19. You know, my first pastor, after the Lord found and saved my wretched soul into his eternal kingdom, used to always say, don't you ever take a vacation from God. So that was a blessing that always and continues to minister to me because that's really a summation of what the scripture says, that we are to seek the Lord and his strength and to seek his face continually. Jesus said that if we're going to follow him, we must deny ourselves, take up our cross daily and follow him. The scripture exhorts and commands us in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. So this beloved brother in Christ, this pastor, knew exactly what happens when the disciple relaxes in seeking the Lord, not only by scripture, but by personal experience. We all know that that's going to result in sinking and backsliding and slipping back. Think about the foolish virgins, the five foolish virgins of the 10. There were five foolish and five wise in Jesus's parable of of the 10 virgins in Matthew 25, 1 through 13. So we must ask, what was the result of the five foolish virgins and their lack of diligence, their slothfulness, their laziness? Well, they were shut out of the eternal kingdom of Christ and it was irrevocable. So this pastor was dead on the money by teaching the flock of God to never take a vacation on God. Give the flesh an inch and what's going to happen? It's going to take a mile, right? Of course. Have you ever slip backwards in your walk with God, my friend? If so, you know it started with just neglecting and choosing not to read the Word of God one day, right? And then that one day turned into two days, and that two days turned into three days, and on and on from there, right? Never must this happen in the life of the true disciple of Jesus. A disciple is a disciplined follower of Christ, and God commands us to be diligent, to be vigilant, and to guard, to keep 
keep our hearts with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life, Proverbs 4.23. So we must never let any grass grow under our feet. The war is won in the now. You must be, what, vigilant, 1 Peter 5.8. Again, be sober, be vigilant, because here's the reason why we must be sober and vigilant. It's because our adversary, your adversary, your enemy, the devil, as a roaring lion, just like roaring lions do, they are constantly preying on their victims. So as a roaring lion, Satan what does what? Walketh about seeking whom he may devour. First Peter 5, 8. And the only way to overcome Satan is to do what? Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. James 4, 7. If we're not submitted presently to Christ, then we are not going to overcome the devil. That's probably, that's definitely my favorite warfare, spiritual warfare scripture in the Bible, James 4, 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he shall, or he will flee from you. He has to if you're submitted to God, but he won't, and he doesn't have to, and he will encroach upon, invade, and conquer your life if you're not presently submitted to God. All he needs is a foothold. In other words, you see when people break into somebody's house and they are trying to force the door open, the first thing they do from the outside in is that they get their foot with their shoe on between the door and the door jam. And once they get that stronghold, if you will, once they get that foot inserted, they're able usually to push the whole door wide open and take over that home and do any evil that they have devised in their evil minds to do. See, the scripture says you must, quote, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you shall never fail. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 10, this very statement tells us that God does not want us to fall. I said fail, I meant fall. For if you do these things, and that would include giving diligence to make your calling and election sure, quote, you shall never fall. Is it possible to never fall? Well, I would ask you this question. Why does the Bible say you shall never fall if it wasn't possible? Okay, so it's only those who remain built up in Christ on a daily basis, like the wise virgins of Jesus's parable in Matthew 25. What did they do? They kept themselves in the love of God. They remained in fellowship with the great bridegroom that they were engaged to, and they made it to the bridal chamber of eternal glory. That's synonymous with enduring to the end to be saved. So the scripture says in Jude, verse 20 through 25, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Now, everybody listening to me that is baptized with the Holy Ghost knows exactly what this is talking about. Let me just stop right here and say, I am not going to be a cessationist by leaving off the blessing of Pentecost. I'm never going to betray the Lord Jesus Christ by saying you got it all when you got saved. Jesus expressly told his own apostles and followers to tarry or wait in the city of Jerusalem until they were endued or clothed upon with power from on high. That's Luke chapter 24, verse 47. Jesus told his own people after he had risen from the dead in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but ye shall receive power after, 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 not before, but after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And so that begs the question, or should I say, 
we should ask what Christian at all would ever say or divulge that he doesn't want more of the Holy Spirit. It's really nothing to argue about. We should all be praying for the Lord to fill us with the Holy Spirit afresh every day. The Bible says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5, I believe it's verse 17 or 18. Let me say this before I go on. I want to encourage you to look up the Holy Spirit category on safeguardyoursoul.com on the desktop version on the right side. is a drop-down category menu. It's alphabetically listed. Go to the H's and look up Holy Spirit. Certainly, we need, every one of us needs more than ever to be full of the Holy Ghost. Okay, so this, so, but ye beloved, building up, how do you build yourself up on your most holy faith? You pray in the Holy Ghost, keeping yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. We're not looking for Jesus to come back so he can see how wonderful we are so much as we're looking unto Jesus and looking for his mercy, the mercy that he gave us at the cross by the blood of the cross and completing his perfect work of redemption by after being buried, he was raised from the dead, the just for the unjust. Christ was crucified for the sins of the world. He was made a sin sacrifice for us. And even though he didn't know any sin, he was made that sin sacrifice, that perfect sacrifice depicted in the Old Testament sacrifices. And the scripture says that Jesus himself says it is finished when he died on the cross, shedding his perfect blood and giving up the ghost. He said it is finished. It is paid in full. So we're looking for his mercy when he returns. Scripture here, this passage continues in verse 24 of Jude, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. That's the Lord. If we're submitted to him, he's going to keep us from falling. And let me say here that so many people have more faith that they're going to fall, that they're going to sin than they do that Jesus can cause them to live a consistently momentous, victorious life in Christ. He will, if we do things his way, we shall never fall. Second Peter 1.10. So now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Obviously, those who fall and do not repent and return to the Lord will not be presented faultless before the presence of the glory of the Father. That's obvious by this verse. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you, present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, with no spot or wrinkle or any such thing. He's coming back for a church that is holy and without blemish. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 27. The only, verse 25, Jude 25, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Friends, Jesus warned us to watch and pray. To do what? To watch and to pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So is that a commandment or is it a suggestion? Well, it's a commandment. And if you don't watch and pray, you will fall into temptation and you will be taken out by the devil. The scripture says that God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is what? He's drawn away of his own lust and enticed, right? This is James 1, 13 through 15. Let no man say when he is tempted, you can't blame God. I am tempted of God. No, you're not. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed, his own unrighteousness. 
uncrucified lust that he chose not to crucify. And it finishes. Then when lust hath conceived, what happens? It bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death or separation from God because he's holy, 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 and he will not coexist with anyone who chooses to live defiled in his holy eyes. So then when lust has conceived, that is, you germinated it, allowed it to make its nest in your mind, in your thoughts, it's going to bring forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, when it runs its course, it's going to bring forth death. The wages of sin is what? Death. Later in this book of James, let's quote it again, James 4, 7, we're told to repent and do what? Submit. You submit yourself to God, that is, in repentance, you're going to resist the devil and he is going to flee from you. So Jesus says to watch and pray that you enter not into temptation, which means if you meditate upon and memorize this scripture, you're going to see it's going to self-revelate, it's going to self-interpret itself by its own words, if these are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, that if you take a vacation on God, you back off, you draw back, you don't watch and pray, you are going to enter into temptation. And it's because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So the Holy Spirit must build up our spirit through communion with God and give us the power so we're presiding over sin and over self. And the scripture says that the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. One is contrary to the other, Galatians 5, 17 and 18. And the only way to have the victory is to repent afresh and live a life of prayer and fasting. Watch and pray. You got to be always diligent, never taking a vacation. Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. Why? Because if you enter into temptation, you're going to fall. You're going to backslide. It's going to be presented to all of us. But if you enter into it because you weren't prayed up and walking in the spirit through the cross life where you're dead and buried every day and Christ is raising you up in his power, what's going to happen is you're going to enter into that temptation because you don't have the power to overcome it. That's why you have to have, I have to have the cross, the crucified life. You know, at that, let me ask you something. Are you sitting under men who pretend to be representing Christ and aren't teaching you the crucified life? I highly suggest that you run for your life because there's no such thing as a gospel. There's no such thing as the gospel, the original gospel of Jesus Christ without the cross right in the center of it. Christ's cross, the blood of his cross, Colossians 1.20, and also the cross he commanded you to take up daily in order to follow him. Otherwise, you are not following Christ. So how did this kind of wisdom get lost from us in the body of Christ, friend? The wisdom of the cross, the wisdom of watching and praying, lest we enter into temptation, of just kind of reviewing what we have seen so far. The wisdom of the Word, the Word is the wisdom of God, and the wisdom of God is the Word of God, about giving all diligence to make your calling and election sure. What happened to the scriptures about being sober and vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walked about seeking whom he may devour? And how about seeking the Lord in his strength, seeking his face continually? Where did these things go? Why aren't we preaching the Word these days? People are more interested in making a church member out of people than seeing them grow in Christ, being equipped and walking the crucified life. There is no Christianity in the definition of Scripture and the definition of the Savior without a cross.
without you crying out with John the Baptist every day saying, Lord, you must increase, I must decrease. Without you crying out with the apostle Paul, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ that liveth in me. In me, in the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. So the disciple of Jesus must get out ahead of the flesh. He must be one step ahead. The crisis management lifestyle must end right now in this message in your personal life. It's time to get out ahead of everything. Get out ahead of the flesh. You know the flesh is going to rise up and bite you like the snake it is if you don't keep your foot down on it. The Apostle Paul said, I keep, notice the word keep, keep under my body and bring it into subjection. That's through the crucified life. Remember in the same book of 1 Corinthians, he said, I die daily. He talks extensively of the cross in 2 Corinthians 4, 10 through 12, etc. And throughout his writings, he says, I keep, un- but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. You got to keep it crucified and keep it underfoot. You got to remain crucified by feeding your spirit and starving your flesh and walking in the spirit through the cross life. You know, there's a lot of people talking about walking in the spirit, but we never hear them talking about being raised up by the spirit through the crucified life, which is what Romans 6 and Romans 8, etc. are speaking about. See, these are the enemies of the cross of Christ that Paul warned us about in the end of Philippians chapter 3. So 1 Corinthians 9, 27, the apostle Paul says, but I keep under my body. It's an ongoing, it's a present and ongoing perpetual necessity if we're going to endure to the end. Otherwise, we will not. By the way, the cross is not an option if you're going to go to glory. It's an absolute imperative. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. In other words, in the end, if I don't keep under my body, even after doing all of this ministry, I am going to be cast away from God as a rebel who died separated from God in sin. So that's why we must die daily, friends. We've got a book on the store page on safeguardyoursoul.com. We've got about 20 books, all of them in English, a few of them in Spanish. One of them's titled, I Die Daily, and it will help you to become engrossed with the biblical revelation, the biblical truth of the daily cross, which is an absolute necessity for anyone who's going to follow Christ. So the disciples of Jesus must get out ahead of the flesh. You must understand that there's no good thing that dwells in you or I or any man, and so you must keep the flesh crucified. The disciple of Jesus must be one step ahead, knowing by the testimony of the Word of God and by personal experience that there is no good thing that dwelleth in me that is in my flesh except Jesus, Romans 7, 18. This is exactly why Paul said, I die daily, and that he had to keep under his body. Because if he didn't, he was going to drift into sin. And boy, don't you know, it doesn't take long, does it? And he's going to be cast away in the end. So we're talking about never taking a vacation on God. One pastor said it this way, he said, have fun this summer, he told the people he was overseeing. Enjoy the outdoors. It's all God's creation. Travel to see friends and family. Explore the world, he said. Just don't take a vacation from God. Don't go on vacation and leave your Bible behind. Don't go anywhere without your Bible. Don't go anywhere. Don't breathe before you read the Bible every morning. You read the Word of God, the King James Bible, and you pray. You have a set-apart time alone with God. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 6, but thou, when thou 
prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. God's going to give the open reward to those who meet with him privately. They're going to be publicly blessed with the love, joy, and peace of Christ, the light of Christ shining in and through their lives. Matthew 6, 6. I want you to memorize that verse and live it. Live it. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father, which is in secret, have secret communion with God. And thy Father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. What good is it to try to fellowship with other believers when you don't even have intimacy with God in your own personal life? You're not even in the Word. You're you're backslidden. If you're not in the Word every day, if you don't have not a prayer life, but a life of prayer, you're backslidden. You're in trouble. So God's calling you from this message right here through His Word to repent. And when you repent, there's going to be times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. And He's going to fill you afresh and establish you in His strength and power in Christ in an abiding union, a vital union with Christ. John 15. Let me finish this quote from the pastor. He loves you more than you can ever imagine and wants to keep refilling your sack with his awesome gifts so that you can keep sharing them with others in your life. So that pastor, unquote, is exhorting the people he's overseeing. I don't even know who he is, but pretty good quote. He's exhorting them, when you go on vacation, do not, please do not back off of God. If any man draw back, Hebrews 10 says, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. So never taking a vacation on God is biblical. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 10, the Bible speaks of the man who would, quote, stay upon his God. In Isaiah 64, verse 7, the Bible speaks of the man who would, quote, stirreth up himself to take hold of thee. The man that would stir up himself to take hold of the Lord. Isaiah 64, verse 6. Okay, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your enemy, your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. 1 Peter 5, 8. Proverbs 13, 19. The desire accomplishes sweet to the soul, but it is abomination to fools to depart from evil. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 19. Okay, so it's a coveted desire of every righteous person to depart from evil. Depart from evil, as we read at the end of Proverbs 13, 19. And the only way to do that is to seek the Lord and his strength and seek his face continually. And to have that as something that is a desire that you accomplish. And it's going to be sweet to your soul. In fact, let me say this from personal experience, and I believe every person, every beloved saint of Christ listening to me right now knows this as an absolute reality that you're never, ever, ever going to be happy without Christ reigning in your life. Doesn't matter whatever else you have. Okay, so let's read a few quotes on diligence because we're talking about diligence and we're going to look at some scripture and close this message. Uh, Here's a few various quotes from different people. I don't know a whole lot about each one of these people, but I felt like there was a little bit of value in some of the things they said. Nothing in the world, says Calvin Coolidge, can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent. Genius will not. 
not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. It will not take the place of persistence and diligence. The world is full of educated derelicts, unquote. I remember reading that quote. It was on the wall at a doctor's office there in Dallas one day years ago, and it really stuck with me. And I looked it up under just searched educated derelicts, and it came right out. And that's a quote there that we just read from Calvin Coolidge, who speaks of the utter importance of persistence and diligence, and that the world, nothing can replace the uh, diligence and persistence. Talent can't, genius can't, education can't. The world is full of educated derelicts. Why? They're not diligent. Okay, Charles Dickens, famous author, I believe, said, but I never could have done what I have done without the habits of punctuality, order, and diligence. Okay, one philosopher said, prefer diligence before idleness, unless you esteem rust above brightness. Another man said, diligence is the mother of good fortune. The scripture says, a man that is diligent is going to be rich. And we we view that as being rich in spiritual riches, okay? It could be otherwise, but we have to first and foremost see that as the riches of Christ, all of the blessed riches from being diligent to serve him. The hand of the diligent maketh rich. Proverbs 10, 4, he becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand. There you go. You're going to become impoverished of spirit, not filled and richly blessed by God by diligently seeking him, but rather poor or starving to death in spirit if you deal with a slack hand, that is, if you're not diligent. Then he says the second part of the verse, in converse, contrary, or in contrast, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. See, we're richly blessed with the riches of Christ as we seek his face. It's one thing to say we have them positionally, but do we have them literally and practically manifesting in our lives? And the answer would be yes, if we're seeking the Lord and his strength and seeking his face continually. Okay, now for you guys that this may interest, I actually always had that verse on, I had had it on, printed it out, had it on a piece of paper and I typed it out or, or cut, copied and pasted it, which I always do with scripture so there's no room for error. Okay, so I'd copy and paste that every job I ever had years ago before I was in the ministry. I had that scripture right in front of my face all every day, all day in my cubicle or wherever, my vehicle, wherever I was. Notice it says the hand of the diligent maketh rich. Proverbs 10 verse 4. Okay, so another man said concerning diligence, he says, amateurs look for inspiration. The rest of us just get up and go to work. <laughs> Amen. Unquote. Okay. Nikola Tesla. I don't know much about him. And uh, if I quote somebody that's absolutely a wicked doer or was, please email me and I will edit that out. Okay. Info at safeguardyoursoul.com. Okay. So Nikola Tesla said, if the if he, that's Thomas Edison he was speaking about, had a needle to find in a haystack, he would not stop to reason where it was most likely to be, but would rather proceed at once with the feverish diligence of a bee to examine straw after straw until he found the object of his search, unquote. Amen. Okay, another man said, laziness looks at excuses as something to treasure, while diligence always focuses on excuses as an inconvenient 
convenience to overcome. Okay, lots of other good quotes. Uh, Shakespeare said, that which ordinary men are fit for, I am qualified in, and the best of me is diligence. The best thing he can offer in being successful was diligence. Amen. All right, so Proverbs 26, 13 says, speaking of slothfulness in contrast with diligence, slothfulness meaning, meaning sluggish or laziness, the slothful man saith, there is a lion in the way, a lion is in the streets. In other words, he gives excuses for not being diligent. He makes excuses. Okay, such a person will never be successful in serving God. Proverbs 14, 23, in all labor, all of it, there is profit, but the talk of the lips tendeth only to penury or poverty. Okay, another one, Proverbs 19, 15, slothfulness or lack of diligence, laziness, sluggishness, casteth into a deep sleep and an idle soul, a lazy person that's not on the move, not being diligent, an idle soul shall suffer hunger. They're going to be spiritually starving and fall away. Okay, so power words, power or empower our lives. Remember those power words our parents instilled in us growing up. Remember things like readers are leaders. How about the early bird gets the worm, right? These all have some wisdom to them. Those who read or study, they have knowledge and they're going to be leaders. The early bird gets the worm. The person that's up and at them is going to be the one that is most successful. That speaks of diligence. What are some of the good words your parents instilled in you as a child, my friend? Think about that. Don't they always reverberate in our hearts and minds? Even if our parents aren't with us anymore, their words are with us. They're loving words of wisdom. They fueled us with in order to help us to be successful. Amen. God bless and thank you, Lord. We thank you for our beautiful parents. We honor and love them. We know they're not perfect and we aren't either, but we love them and we thank you for them right now, God, in all that that you use them to do in our lives, all of these words of wisdom they spoke, especially when they spoke your word to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so my father always taught us to always be consistent. And these weren't but words. You know, my brother and I were 13 months apart, one of my brothers, and we started playing football at about five or six years old at the playground there in Metairie, Louisiana, a suburb of New Orleans. And uh, my parents sat us down and they would look us right in the eyes, little boys, and say, if you start this season, you will finish. Do you understand me? You better count the cost because we require that you finish the season. You're not going to start something that you don't finish. That is an excellent, friends. That is an excellent and an essential thing that you teach your children. Jesus said to count the cost, Luke 14, in serving him. And he's talking about the cross there. He's talking about things we're going to suffer. We got to be resolved that we're going to serve God no matter what, that we're going to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength all the way till we're with him and thereafter. Okay, so we're talking about power words that empower our lives. Nothing replaces consistency and diligence. Say it out loud with me right now. Consistency. Let's say it again. Ready? Consistency. One more time. Consistency. Amen. I always marvel when friends and family around me, as I know many of you understand the same thing, you know, they start out, they start enacting better eating habits where they eat organic, healthy food and they start losing weight only to just let it all go and gain all their weight back. Or they start a workout program and start developing muscle, feeling real much better, losing fat, and then they quit. I, I just don't understand that. As in, wait a minute, you were doing 
doing that. It was successful. It was working. And you quit? I, I don't understand that. It's, that's just something that is befuddling for whatever it's worth as far as my opinion goes. Notice Hebrews 10, 32 through 39. But call to remembrance the former days. Remember back when you got saved, in which after that you were illuminated, you were saved by the light of the world, Jesus Christ, illuminated. Ye endured a great fight of afflictions. In other words, you were being attacked when you when the Lord saved you. You were being mocked and scorned and ridiculed by your friends and family, right? Then he says, verse 33, we're, we're reading in Hebrews 10, partly while you were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly while you became companions of them that were so used, for ye had compassion of me and my bonds. In other words, his bonds speaks of him being chained up and incarcerated, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that you have in heaven a better and enduring substance. In other words, you were glad to give me the aid, the supply, whatever they gave him to help support him while he was in bond. They did this, he says, because they have in heaven, they stored that up in heaven that's going to bring forth a an eternal reward. Remember, Jesus said, lay not up, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. You're wasting those treasures, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust does corrupt and thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That's going to be Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Okay, so then he says in verse 35, cast not away, do not ever get rid of your confidence or your saving faith, which hath great recompense of reward. In other words, you're going to cash in in the end. Don't you ever ever stop following Christ. Don't you ever have a day or a morning where you're not seeking God first thing. Jesus said, but seek ye first, 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 the kingdom of God. Not second, but first. You're second at least. No, you're third at least because God and others come before you. And you got to drive that stake in the ground, saints. Okay, so can we not say that we should never be MIA? That's a military term meaning missing in action, but we should always be FIA. We should always be applying faith in action. And that's what true saving faith will always be. It'll be an action lifestyle, a life that's busy about the Father's business. Hebrews 11:6. without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews 11.6. Okay, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35. Cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. Seek ye first, right? Matthew 6.33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. I can tell you right now, if you're not happy, it's because you're not seeking God first. And God's calling you to come before him in repentance and ask him to forgive you of your spiritual idolatry, of your spiritual adultery, and how you have put yourself before him and ask him to forgive you for this vile sin that has defiled your life and brought great sadness and guilt and pain and sorrow. And he's going to cleanse you afresh by the blood of a lamb. He's going to wash you clean and fill you with his spirit. And you're going to walk with a satiated, a satisfied, a full spirit, full of him with great joy. Amen. All right. So verse 36, for ye have need, it's a necessity. Notice what he says. It is a necessity. You have need of patience 
or perseverance, that after that you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. See, this speaks again, as we read throughout Scripture, of initial and final salvation. Most of the evangelical world, 99% of it, denies that there is final salvation. They just tell you that when you get saved, it's a one and done. You're once saved, always saved. You're eternally secure. These things are lies from hell. This is the same and exact lie, the first lie, Satan never told the mankind, which caused the fall of the man and the woman in the garden, and they were kicked out of the presence of God. Hence the need to be absolutely feverishly diligent in serving the Lord and never taking a vacation on God, not a second. Pray without ceasing, the scripture says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, verse 36, for you have need of patience that after that you have done the will of God, when you endure to the end, you might receive the promise. That's the promise of eternal glory, final salvation. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. Those that are justified are living by faith, because without faith, it is impossible to please God. Hebrews 11.6. If you're not living by faith, you're not pleasing God. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. That's very self-evident, self-interpretive. Verse 39 but we are not of them who draw back unto perdition or damnation, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. In other words, we adore to the end. That's what Christ taught. Also in Hebrews, beginning at verse 9 of chapter 6, verse 9 through 12, but Beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence, there's the word again, of the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, don't be lazy, don't be hesitant, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Sixty-two times the words diligent, diligence, and diligently appear in the Holy Scriptures. Each time we read of these words, we read them in the Scriptures, diligent, diligence, or diligently, they speak specifically of our serving and worshiping of God. Diligence, we quoted some of the scriptures earlier. Okay, saints, as we come to a close, let me remind you that in these messages, we are stirring each other up. We're letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly, teaching and admonishing one another, one member of the body to the other. In Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, Colossians 3.16, and hopefully your appetite is getting wet to study the word of God yourself and not just listen to somebody else minister and preach it. That's all fine and good. And one of the purposes of that from God is that you would do as Paul instructed Timothy to do, study to show yourself, you do it, study to show yourself approved unto God, a, not unto men, but unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Hebrews twelve fifteen is another verse we find the word diligently in, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, if failing of the grace of God were not 
impossible. This would not be in the Bible. In fact, Paul said in Galatians 5, 4, that you have fallen from grace. So it's possible after being saved to be cut off. Some shall depart from the faith. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Again, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 says, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. That's another verse with the word diligently in it, Hebrews 12, 15. So let's finish here. You know, I remember growing up, my grandfather was a boxer. My dad taught us how to box and defend ourselves. We grew up in a very, well, wasn't a Christian family, but also in a very violent environment there in New Orleans. And the the saying, whether it was at home with my dad, my grandpa, or on the boxing team I was on in high school, you would always hear them say, keep your dukes up. Keep your dukes up. Every one of you gentlemen know exactly what I'm talking about. Get them dukes up and keep them up. Don't you ever drop your dukes. That's your protection. Your dukes, your fists are not only your offensive weapon of warfare, but also your protection from your opponent striking you in the face, better known as landing punches on your face. Okay, and one of the most important things about your dukes is that when they are swinging, you are on the offense. And so the best defense, as it said, is a very good offense, an offense that is on the move, if you will. And that's what scripture teaches about our spiritual lives. Jesus says, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Matthew chapter 26, verse 41. And keep in mind that Paul used boxing as one of the three or four sports he used to illustrate spiritual truth in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he spoke about uh, not punching the air. In other words, not just throwing frivolous punches, but throwing meaningful punches that land on the chin of the enemy. Amen. So in learning this, keep your dukes up, that's kind of like the same principle as don't you ever take a vacation on God, because if you do, you're going to get stung by the serpent. You're going to be whopped by the enemy. You're going to be punched. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, we should always be reminded of this fabulous truth in the Bible and warning to each of us. It says, guard or keep your heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. So you have to guard your heart. You have to keep it and till it. You've got to keep the soil of your heart full of moisture and the word of God and the water, if you will, the moisture of the Holy Spirit and remain pliable and teachable in the fear of God. Memorize Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. The Bible speaks in Ecclesiastes 10, beginning in verse 8. He that diggeth a pit shall fall into it, and whoso breaketh a hedge, a serpent shall bite him. Notice the illustrious language, the earthly story with the spiritual meaning that if you dig a pit, you're going to fall into it. If you dig your own pit by not being diligent, you're going to fall into it. You're going to suffer consequences. If you break a hedge, if you have a hedge around you that's protecting you from animals that you're camping out somewhere and you build a hedge around you, it's going to keep the snakes away. But if you don't, the serpent's going to bite you. It says, whoso breaketh an hedge, a serpent shall bite him. You got to look for the spiritual truth that the scriptures, as they so often do, illustrate through things that are in the physical agriculture and other stuff that we can all relate to. 
And on that note, notice here in verse 8, it says that if you dig a pit or you break a hedge or a protection, you drop your duke spiritually, you're not diligent. Notice this, a serpent shall bite him. This is the end of Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 8 in this passage. Remember, Satan is called the serpent in Revelation 12, 7 through 10. So ultimately, if we drop our dukes, if you will, if we cease to be diligent to obey God, Satan is going to bite us. Satan is going to get a foothold. The slithering serpent is going to come into our life and cause sin and havoc as he did in the Garden of Eden. Okay, now, so in this passage, it says in verse 9, Ecclesiastes 10, Whoso removeth stone shall be hurt therewith, and he that cleaveth wood shall be in danger thereby. You can do a research on that one in the imagery there. If the iron be blunt and he do not wet the edge, then must he put to more strength. But wisdom is profitable to direct. Surely the serpent will bite without enchantment and the babbler is no better. Okay, so keep your dukes up means to stay protected and stay under the shadow of the Almighty is what that would relate to in the scriptures. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. That's Psalm 91.1. If you're dwelling in the secret place of the Most High because you're seeking the Lord in private prayer communion, intimate with Jesus, and you're in the Word every day, and you're praising God and walking in the Spirit through the cross life, you're going to be covered and protected by and under the shadow of the Almighty, and you're going to be flourishing and fruitful in Christ. Picture there is where the mama bird puts her chicks or babies under her big wings to protect them. Amen. Listen, we are going through, saints, some of the most horrific times. We're going to see it get really bad. That's not to scare you, but to prepare you. Matthew 24, 21 and 22, as we close, Jesus said, Then, for then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. That's Matthew 24, 21, and 22. There's never been a time when it's more important to be vigilant, to be diligent, and to seek the Lord in his strength, to seek his face continually and never look left or right and never look back like Lot's wife did and she was turned to a pillar of salt. You must endure to the end to be saved, beloved. Watch and pray so that you Enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Well, brothers and sisters, it's been a blessing to spend these moments with you in the Word of God. And remember, there's hundreds of more Christ-centered, scripture-rich, edifying podcasts on safeguardyoursoul.com forward slash audios. There's also a store page with several, many books on there for your edification in Christ. They're all scripture-rich and Christ-centered. Also, tens of 
of thousands of saints and sinners are being reached every month, and your prayers are coveted for the fruitfulness and supply of this outreach. God be praised, by the way, for those who are supporting. And feel free to visit our donate page on the site, and you can use your debit card, PayPal, or Patreon, and you can become a monthly sustaining member if you choose to do so, and a gift of any amount is so appreciated. Part of this outreach is to equip and supply other ministering disciples across our great country and all over the world. And may God be praised that there's fruitfulness happening among his people and through his beloved saints as we know that the return of our Lord Jesus Christ draws nigh. And we say together in the words of Revelation 22, even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen.